than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Superman rocketed to Earth as an infant when the distant planet Krypton exploded. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild planet reporter for the Daily Planet, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and freedom with superpowers far beyond those of ordinary mortals. It's Superman, Superman, Superman. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 87 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo. In this episode, my penultimate episode covering the Filmation Superman cartoons, I'll be covering the episodes 9 through 12 of season 3 of the New Adventures of Superman, and episodes 5 and 6 of The Adventures of Superboy. That will include the Superman episodes, The Mysterious Mr. Mist, and Luminians on the Loose, and the Superboy episodes, The Trap of the Super Spacemen, and... The Space Refugees. But before I get to the coverage of this week's episode, I have some feedback to address. My feedback is, as always, from friend of the show, Dave McElvenny. This letter was a little bit delayed as Dave is writing in on episode number 78, and Dave writes, I've been away for a week and a half with no internet access. It's good to disconnect sometimes, and I'm in the process of catching up on podcast episodes I've missed. I just listened to episode 78 of the Man of Screen podcast, and just wanted to address a question you had about the look of Mr. Mixias Pitalik in the comics of the 1960s. He had, as an adult, the gray-white hair on sides of an otherwise bald head topped by the small purple derby. In some Superboy stories of their time, the young master Mictias Pitalik had a full red of orange hair, and I don't believe he wore a derby. I must compliment you on the proper pronunciation of Mictias Pitalik. I cringe whenever I hear Mixoplik. Well, Dave, uh, prepare to start cringing because when I get to Super Friends, you're going to be hearing Mixoplik. I agree to you that the character doesn't belong in a live-action film and that he is a fun opponent for Superman because he requires Superman to use his brains more than most villains do. I don't know your thoughts on Alan Moore's Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, but I will state for the record that I hate Mixius Pitalik's appearance in that one. Who am I kidding? I pretty much hate everything except the art in that story. And uh, yeah, Dave, I'm kind of with you on the uh, on that assessment of Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Despite the fact that it lands on all of those uh, best of lists, it really seems as though Alan Moore took the best elements of the Silver Age and, and Bronze Age and just kind of took a big dump on them. So, you know, maybe as an kind of an Elseworld, or as they called them at that time, imaginary story. I'd have been more okay with it, but I don't necessarily like that story as as the ending for the pre-crisis Superman. And no, there is just nothing good about that story. And Dave signs off, live long and prosper, Dave. Yeah, I don't think I have anything to, else to address from Dave's letter. He really didn't comment on the episode per se. I mean, I can imagine he had a pretty big backlog after being gone a week and a half. You know, about a month or so ago, I had the podcast I listened to kind of caught up. And now I have a backlog of about 53 episodes that I haven't listened to yet. I don't know if I just fell behind on listening or if so many more episodes have been produced. I know there are a few that I've been deliberately avoiding because I haven't seen certain films yet. But still, I've got quite the backlog and I didn't even sign off for a week and a half like Dave did. I can only imagine the uh, backlog Dave had when he came back. All right, so absent of uh, any other feedback... I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with The Mysterious Mr. Mist and the Superboy episode, Trap of the Super Spacemen. Hang around, folks. Hey, 
Are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages, protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier? To explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast, as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin, and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And, unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier. All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, both episodes I'm talking about in this segment were originally broadcast on October 12th, 1968, and we're going to start with The Mysterious Mr. Mist. This was written by Oscar Bensall. And all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. While Clark and Lois are at Perry's farm for the annual Daily Planet picnic, a mysterious mist entity comes up from a well. The entity can create the appearance of being human from inhabiting clothing. It attacks Lois, but Superman saves her. He disappeared, just like the hobo, but but nobody would believe me. What's going on here, Superman? There's a mysterious creature on your farm who's obviously after Miss Lane. I think I'd better remove her from this area. Oh, please, Superman, do. That goes the old ball game. Up, up, and Unfortunately, away. however, it pursues Lois to Metropolis and repeatedly tries to kidnap her so that she can become the queen of a subterranean kingdom. I should like to speak with you. Urgent. Yes? My homeland is in need of a new queen. I've been studying you. You have all the qualifications. Beauty, intelligence. Oh, now, really? The people of our subterranean civilization need you. Subterranean? Yes. Our world is 200 miles beneath the Earth's crust. Well, all I can say, mister, is you have a lot of crust. Goodbye. After Superman confronts it in the Superman Museum at Superboy. Not in here. You wait, Miss Lane. I'll try the Superboy room. Superboy, you're Mr. Mist. Yes, and I warn you that I acquire the characteristics and skills of the original owner of whatever costume I wear. So now I, too, have super strength. Great. God. Superman manages to capture it and seals up the well. Yeah. What this synopsis doesn't realize, doesn't say is that he, he seals the well with a big rock. But that setting is pretty much where we're going to start off this episode. We're going to start at Perry White's farm. Who knew Perry White, the uh, 
sophisticated editor of the Daily Planet Bill of the Daily Planet newspaper in Metropolis, one of the greatest newspapers in the world, has a farm. I sure didn't know that. So while some of the staff is at Perry's farm, some mist rises out of the well as the staff baseball game begins. I can't necessarily imagine the Daily Planet staff think having enough. Just from looking at the table here, it doesn't seem as though he has enough people for a 9-on-9 baseball game, but they're going to try it. You know, it might have been a little bit better if they had uh, you know, maybe done a pickup basketball game or something, but I guess Perry has enough space for a baseball field. So we're going to go with that. And being that baseball is the national pastime. It's just that, you know, much easier to get a hoop game going. You need far less equipment and far less people. So during the game, uh, Clark hits the ball a ton, and he says he should watch his strength. You would think that's something that he would do all the time. You know, one of the things about Superman in the Silver Age, especially in the comics, especially especially as he was growing up as Superboy, was that Clark uh, portrayed himself as not being very good at sports to hide his uh, superpowers. So it's kind of strange that he would do that here as a grown man who really should know better than to hit the ball a ton. So as Lois is chasing the ball, she sees the scarecrow that the uh, mist took over, and it uh, apparently somebody wore the scarecrow's coveralls as uh, it seems to come to life in the form of a real person. We're going to find out later in the episode, and I'm probably spoiling it a little bit, that the mist can take the form of whomever wore the outfit last. So apparently the uh, outfit that's kind of hanging out by the as a scarecrow was actually worn by, an act, by a human being before... It became trussed up as a scarecrow. So the uh, scarecrow wants Lois to come with him, and uh, she screams for help. You know, good on her. She doesn't want to go anywhere with strangers, and that's something for you kids out there. You know, and anybody's uh, strange comes up to you and tells you to uh, come with them, you scream and call for help. And now that I made that statement, I kind of wonder if there are actually any kids listening to this podcast. It's probably mostly middle-aged men. If you have any information on my demographics, or if you're not a middle-aged man like many of us are, write me an email, manascreen at gmail.com. Or hit me up in the Facebook group. I'm curious to see who's out there. Always have been. So now, I must say, uh, Perry has done some quick wardrobe changes here. Before the uh, baseball game, he was wearing a jacket. He took it off the pitch, and now he has his jacket back on again. So, definitely, uh, the animators have a hard time keeping uh, Perry's wardrobe in continuity. There's no reason for him to put the jacket back on at this point. So, Lois was running from the mist in human form while Clark was talking to Perry and telling him that somebody works very hard. I wonder who he was referring to. Probably Jimmy. So after uh, Superman rescues uh, Lois from the Scarecrow, she's very concerned that no one believed her, and uh, Superman just kind of removed her from the farm to get her out of trouble. Even um, after taking her to Metropolis, the mist is still after Lois, and uh, it now takes the form of a man in a tuxedo, and he uh, kind of lays out what he wants from Lois. He wants uh, to take Lois into his underground kingdom and uh, basically be the queen. I believe this is at least the second character to want Lois to be queen of uh, some area that she did live in. I believe at one point uh, Dr. Heckler was going to make Lois Queen of the Dead World Mega at one point during a, bra- a former Brainiac episode. So, either way, Lois is indignant here and she turns him down cold. With that rejection in hand, the Mist is going to go after some construction equipment. Superman sees some dynamite in the shack and basically takes the whole thing into orbit so it can explode harmlessly. And meanwhile, the Mist has revealed that it wants to bring her to the well at the farm. So Superman talks to a cop who he doesn't know, and that we're going to find out in a minute or so, that he is uh, taken over by the mist. Well, I guess you'll write a story about this, Miss Lane. It's a real scoop. Scoop? Please, I don't even want to hear that word. Superman, what's going on? Officer, there's a criminal on the loose. He can change into any human form. Oh, 
Only you can catch a weird character like that, Superman. Let me drive you home, Miss Lane. Thank you, officer. Good. Up, up, and away! This would be a lot funnier if this was a real cop, but he's willing to pass the buck to Superman. He basically says something to the effect of those crazies are your department. So I'm kind of glad this guy turns out to be the mess because it's not something you want your local police officer to be saying. You want them ready to uh, jump in at any opportunity to keep the public safe. So the mist is uh, taking her back to his homeland and Superman is meanwhile looking for the mist and not finding it. And too bad at the moment he's not looking, thinking to check Perry's farm. So all of a sudden Perry shows up at his farm and he gets himself tied to a conveyor belt by the mist. And he is tied to a wooden log and heading into a buzzsaw. If that looks familiar at all to you, that's because something similar happened to Perry in The Perils of Superman, the next to last episode of the George Reeves television series. I immediately thought of that episode when I saw the image of Perry uh, rolling toward the whirling buzzsaw. Superman notices the cop car at Perry's farm and he sees that Perry and Lois are in trouble. He warns Lois not to uh, fall in, uh, but she, into the well that is, and uh, she kicks the mist and we learn that Superman can only save one person as part one ends. So, as part two opens, uh, Superman is going to save both Lois and, Ju- and Perry. Perry gets saved first, basically Superman unplugs the circular saw. Too bad uh, George Reeves Superman didn't think of that. Although what we had was just the uh, bad uh, image of uh, the bus hogs breaking on Superman's chest, even though George Reeves was a good foot away from it. So after all the excitement, Perry is going to assign Clark to escort Lois to work. You know, eh, fair enough. He doesn't want anything to happen to Lois on her way to the office. But Lois points out that basically that Clark is the next best thing to useless, which is part of Superman's disguise as Clark Kent. Clark Kent can, can never look too capable, especially in the face of danger. And during this conversation, Superman actually starts to defend his other self, but does not. Which is probably a good idea. He almost uh, gives away his secret identity on several occasions. He doesn't want to do it here, too. I mean, the George Reeves Superman was notorious for that. He'd always say, refer to Superman or Clark when he was in the other identity as I. And that would kind of get people going in a tizzy until... Uh, he found some way to dispel their curiosity. And believe it or not, that happened quite a few times in the episode, so it was a running gag to have to show. So the next day, Lois sends Clark to get a magazine, and then he, the mist takes her to the elevator and to the roof. And so Clark changes into Superman, and eventually he vacuums up the mist. You know, even though the mist is a living thing, uh, Superman traps him in, uh, in a little jar and closes it up so he can't escape. But of course, the mist escapes what I'm calling the vacuum cleaner of doom, and he's kind of just bouncing around. From place to place. Perry gets a call that a boiler breaks up and that, uh... Good grief. What was that? Yes? A boiler blew up? Great. God, that little old janitor. Clark, where are you going? The boiler room was all smoky, and so the mist is going to use the opportunity that he created there to get a hold of Lois again. And that was clever on the part of the mist, grabbing Lois while Superman was distracted fighting the issue with the boiler room. Then at some point, Beanie the copy boy comes in. He and Jimmy are figuring something out. And I just cannot get past Beanie's voice. And the animation doesn't seem to match Beanie's voice. Beanie, you know, while drawn to be, looked very young. He looked very uh, clean cut. You know, the kind of voice we have. And I know voices don't discriminate. But I just picture, you know, somebody with uh, freckles and a gap tooth when I hear Beanie's uh, scratchy voice. Doesn't, uh really fit with somebody as clean cut as what we see in the show. So meanwhile, the mist has Lois strapped to a ladder, and the mist is awful careless as he destroys the ladder on an overpass. Just kind of cuts the ladder in half, and Lois kind of just flies along, which is probably not what would happen in that situation. 
the ladder would probably just bend and break and lower the brakes hit the pavement. It, the highway wouldn't, uh, the overpass wouldn't saw the presumably metal ladder in half and send it flying. So Superman catches her and brings her to the museum. And the, and the mist goes into the museum, most specifically the Superboy exhibit. When the mist takes the form of Superboy, it sounds an awful lot like Bob Hastings. And if it is, I imagine this is one of the few times that Bob Hastings and Bud Collier's versions of the characters share the scene. And it's neat. I'm under no illusion that Hastings and Collier recorded this scene together, as it really wasn't standard practice back then to record these things. As a cast, usually the actor would come in, read their lines to someone off mic, and go home. If these, if the conversation between the characters, the characters here don't seem conversational to you, it's probably because actors were talking at, were recording their lines at different times, and usually by themselves. So this is where we learn that the Mister would have Superboy's powers as he gets the strength from the wearer of whatever costume he picks up. So this basically has Superman fighting himself, at least a younger version of himself, as he uses Kryptonite on Superboy. And since they share strength, they share a weakness. You know, we never see the Kryptonite affect Superman, but we only get lip service to how he, it was making him not feel too good. So Superman again locks the mist in the lab, and he is bottled. And this is where, and then Superman brings the mist back to the lab, and it just goes right back down the well. So now Clark is looking out a window to the planet building, and he just turns on the heat to generate some steam. Clark, what are you doing? It's cold in here. I thought you might like a little steam. Oh. Lois doesn't even have a retort. She's just angry. I'm going to say this. Lois being kidnapped to become a queen is a tired plot. But seeing Superman fight Superboy made this episode worth it. You know, in my head canon, I like to imagine that both Bob Hastings and Bud Collier did the voices in this scene, and it wasn't just Collier being older Superman and younger Superboy. So I'm going to move on now to The Trap of the Superman. This is also written by Oscar Bensall. Superboy and Crypto rescue a space capsule with an astronaut. At the space center, the astronaut starts shooting beams, destroying things. When examined by a doctor, the astronaut is found to be an alien. What happened to him, doctor? I'm not sure, but I think the poor fellow's contracted some unknown space fever. Look at his eyes. They never move. They're like glass. Could it be... Yes, a disguise. Great guns! He's a being from another world! All right, speak up. What have you done with our astronaut? He won't or can't speak. Only one thing to do. I must find our missing astronaut. Superboy and Crypto investigate an asteroid near where the capsule was and find the aliens using the astronaut as an energy force. Superboy is trapped in his power siphon into the aliens. My strength, it, it's all been drained. Not drained, transferred to me. But how? Why? We have been using this Earthman as an energy source to adjust our bodies to Earth's atmosphere. Every time I rebuild my energy, they transfer it to another of them. And the one who was in the space capsule was a test case disguised to avert suspicion. Behold, I am now infused with enormous strength and endowed with heat vision. My powers have been transferred to him. Nothing can stop us now. We will keep this boy's energy in constant drain. So his world will have no defense against us. Dispatch a fleet to Earth. Instruct them to demand surrender. 
Crypto helps save Superboy, who regains his powers, smashes the alien's power transferral machine, and then stops their space flight. Alright, so apparently uh, Clark's science class is waiting for a return trip from a missile. But when the government can't find the missile, Superboy goes into action. No, I can't be sure, but the blonde boy with Clark looks to be Pete Ross. And one thing I'm noticing right away, we're getting, you know, I've been talking about how we're getting better shirt rips in these episodes, but I love how the animation has Superboy puff out his chest during the change. So Superboy finds the missile and brings it back to Earth. When he opens it, the pilot is glowing and emits some kind of ray and starts to fire. So Superboy and Crypto immediately go go into action trying to stop the fire. They eventually put it out just by rubbing some dirt on it. And basically what Crypto is doing is look like he looks like he's digging. And that puts the fire out and gets it under control. It burns for... This fire is just out of control and the pilot is just walk, calmly walking and blasting everything in sight. Now he's on his way to the base hospital. Superboy turns a sheet of lead into a cable and ties the pilot up in it. Good thing there was plenty of lead around during the 1960s. These plots would be much more difficult. This is also where we learn that the pilot is actually some kind of alien, and I find it hysterical that this doctor is getting so shocked about being in the presence of an alien that he screams about it in front of Superboy, who is himself an alien. wonder how that makes him feel. I guess he looks so human that people tend to forget, but Superboy questions the alien, but it doesn't seem to have any mouth with which to answer questions. So Superboy questions the alien, but it has no mouth. So now Superboy is checking out the asteroid for the pilot, and apparently the asteroid is inhabited and the aliens are experimenting on him. Nice guys. And here is Superboy walking right in front of a trap. Apparently, they're trying to steal the energy of the Earth people, probably for some kind of invasion. And now they're taking Superboy's powers. So they all must be planning an Earth invasion, as they're doing what they can to eliminate the world's biggest defender. So Superboy sends Crypto after the invasion fleet, and you can tell Superboy is in a bad way. But the alien catches up with Crypto, and now we have an amusing battle between Crypto and the alien. But Crypto is smart enough to save Superboy and give him his powers back. So Superboy destroys the energy transfer device, which angers the aliens. And they announce that they're going to blow up the Earth, which they never do. So Superboy brings the pilot home, and the aliens are sent home. Literally, on their generational ship. So now, uh, some boys are looking for Clark. Superboy, have you seen Clark Kent? Clark? Why, uh, I think he probably went back to Smallville. Isn't that just like him? Running off like a scared rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> That was an okay episode, so now I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with Luminians on the Loose and the Space Refugees. Hang around, folks. My name is Bob Fisher, and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it, from 1938 to the present day. From the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com Welcome back, folks. Uh, both episodes in this sequence have been broadcast on October 19, 1968. And I'm going to start with Superman Story, The Minions on the Loose. And our synopsis is brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Lex Luthor beams two Luminians, creatures made of pure laser light, and sets them to work destroying everything they touch. 
welcome, Luminian. I am Lex Luthor. Do not touch us. We are composed of pure laser light. We vaporize whatever we touch with any part of our bodies except the soles of our feet. Perfect. Now, together, we shall control the planet Earth. But first, we must destroy Superman. Here's my plan. When Superman proves invulnerable to their touch, Luthor arms himself with kryptonite. The Luminians decide Superman is not worth the trouble and turn on Luthor. Foiled again by the Man of Steel. Since Superman cannot harm us, we will waste no more time on Superman. Listen, you incandescent idiot. I'm running this show. Hey, now wait a minute. No, don't! Superman saved Luthor, and together they devised a strategy to send the Luminians back to their own world forever. Alright, so this is going to be uh, Luthor's latest episode in uh, Getting Rid of Superman. His new plan is to bring some aliens who are made of laser light to Earth and do the job for him that way. Apparently only the soles of their feet are safe. I guess that's what keeps them Luminians from uh, vaporizing the areas in which they walk. And the Luminians are a little, uh, you know, they're small, kind of orange. They don't necessarily look like people. I guess they... Could look like some kind of animal, but, you know, they're just almost like little gorilla-like in orange. And they talk with these high, uh, almost robotic voices. Very high-pitched and actually kind of annoying if you have to sit there and listen to it for a long time. So Luthor basically tells the Illuminians his plan, and they kind of just set the whole thing in motion. Now the plan just kind of goes from there. Now the planet clerk's getting a phone call from Jimmy, who's at the airport. I couldn't quite make out what's going on, but... Wait, Jimmy, slow down. First, where are you? At Metropolis Airport. And like I said, it's kind of time here. Tell Mr. White. Okay, Jimmy. Goodbye. It's, a, it's important enough for Clark to skip giving the message to Perry and just turn it to Superman. So the Luminians are, you know, busy melting planes and causing all kinds of havoc. And that brings Superman straight to the airport. Apparently, the Luminians cannot vaporize Superman the way they destroy everything else. And apparently Superman can't touch the Luminians, so Superman, uh, that part of Luthor's plan quickly, uh, goes to hell, and, uh, Luthor is about to arrest Superman when he turns the Luminians on a tower. And, you know, and they touch the tower, right, and it starts melting. Uh, Jimmy helps out by sending some steel girders to Superman, with which he props up the tower, and, uh, Superman finds the observatory, and the Luminians have some kryptonite with them. So Superman is way ahead of Luthor here with a lead shield. It's good, and it's a good thing that there's so much lead around in the 1960s. You know, Superman walked right into uh, this trap as the Illuminians destroy his shield and the kryptonite drives him away. And then after this first night in which they deal with Superman, we learn that the Illuminians are kind of like vampires in the sense that they only have powers at night. So Perry will later send Jimmy to the airport. Getting dark, Jimmy. And there have been no further reports about those Illuminians, Mr. Kent. Hey, where do they get all their power? I just don't know. That very question has been on my mind all day, Jimmy. Jimmy, Lois Lane is due in on the Metropolis night train. Drive down to the railroad station and pick her up, will you? Oh, sure, Chief. I'll take the shortcut through the park. I wish he wouldn't call me Chief. And when he says he would, he calls Perry Chief, and Perry here kind of says that he wishes Jimmy wouldn't call him Chief. So it's a nice little nod there to the 50s TV show, where Perry frequently screams to Jimmy not to call him Chief. So from there, the Illuminians catch Jimmy and destroy his statue. And somehow Jimmy has gotten to the top of a flagpole here, and I'm not sure how, but he took the opportunity while he's hanging out on top of a flagpole to signal Superman for help. Now, I love this image of Superman standing on top of the arch as he's looking down at Luthor, the Luminians, and Jimmy. He's definitely keeping his distance from uh, Luthor and the Luminians this time, and uh, after Superman blusters for a minute and flies off, Jimmy tells Luthor that Lois is coming on the on the incoming uh, express train. With that information, uh, 
Luthor goes to work. The pin on this landmine is pulled out. The mine explodes when this switch pops up, like this. Unless something or somebody holds it down. You had better lie still, Olsen. The moment you take your weight off that spring switch, the mine will go boom. Now, in a few seconds, the Night Express will pass over this trestle. Superman will undoubtedly come to rescue you. And when he lifts you off the track, the mine will detonate. The trestle and the train will be destroyed. <laughs> but basically what will happen here, if Superman rescues Jimmy at all, it will destroy the train. And Superman will come by and notice that Jimmy is on the tracks as part one comes to a conclusion. So as part two begins, uh, here comes the train and Superman is flying downward. No one mentions what will happen if Superman take, just takes the mine. But that's pretty much what's going to happen. Uh, Superman overhears Luthor's comment about the mine and he diverts the train and uh, gets rid of the mine and frees Jimmy. Now I love Luthor's comments. Uh, he is really upset about being foiled again by Superman. He's waving his arms and... They're just upset. You know, this whole area here is extremely overacted with Luthor waving his arms. And the fury Luthor is supposed to be feeling doesn't really match the vocal performance. You know, he's just kind of complaining that he's been foiled again by Superman. But the waving of his arms feels like Luthor should be much more frantic about his defeat here. Now, apparently Luthor has angered the Luminians who, uh, because they can't actually destroy Superman, they don't really want to attack him anymore. It's kind of pointless, but they're still willing... But Luthor is uh, upset with that. He uh, this is his plot. He wants to do it his way. And when the Luminians uh, when the Luminians don't want to do it his way, he kind of freaks out on him, yells at him, and loses control really. And that proves damaging to his plot. And now the Luminians are after Luthor. And I just love this look of horror on Luthor's face. And then Superman saves Luthor from the Luminians, but and he does that while posing, you know, as Superman would. He just he doesn't need to rescue Luthor, and you would think he would just grab Luthor and bring him to jail, but you know what? I had forgotten while watching this that Luthor had the kryptonite on him. And Superman, uh, thinking uh, much more creatively than I would, he used a fishing pole to remove the kryptonite from Luthor's pocket so that he can save him from the Luminians. Now, a clever use of uh, Superman's abilities. So, Luthor's going back to prison, and he's terrified of the Luminians. He wants to work with Superman to get rid of them, and this is the first time I've ever seen Luthor scared. And Inspector Henderson just releases Luthor to Superman's custody. Thanks, Superman. I'll see that Luthor is placed in a maximum security cell block. No. Please, Inspector. There's no maximum security against those Luminians. I'm afraid that's true, Inspector. Let me work with Superman. I'm sure together we can come up with some way to stop them. Good idea, Inspector. I'll be responsible for returning him to you after we've disposed of his two glowing guests. Well, if you say so, Superman, okay. Now about this police inspector, I'm just saying it's Henderson. I don't know for sure that it's supposed to be Inspector Henderson, but it is the police inspector, so... As long as it's a police inspector, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's Henderson. And it's a good thing that Luthor is going to work with Superman. Now, it's always interesting seeing Luthor and Superman working together. You know, when whenever this happens for... The quote-unquote greater good. I'm always waiting for Luthor to stab Superman in the back. And eventually it happens here, but it takes a few minutes to get there. Their plan is to stop Luminia's light from reaching the Earth. And apparently Superman is going to block it by moving an asteroid, which, according to this animation, looks a bit like a small moon. 
and is going to eclipse the light coming from Luminia. So Superman blocks the light of Luminia's sun so that it will never reach Earth, and all of a sudden, the aliens are suddenly apologetic and are on their way home. Our power is beginning to return. Don't be foolish. Climb into that laser gun and Luthor will send you back. No! In five seconds our star will appear in the sky. Then hundreds of Luminians will come to join us. Not a chance. I'm going to dismantle this laser gun. Look! Luminia! Our power has returned! Superman, I thought... First we will destroy Luthor. No! Help! I thought you were going to eclipse Luminia, Superman. Don't worry, Luthor. Watch and see. At this very moment, far out in space, the asteroid in its new orbit blocks the light of the laser star. You see, Luthor? We... we have lost our power. Forever. As long as you're on this planet, you'll remain dark and powerless. Luminia's light will never again reach Earth. Have mercy. We are sorry. Send us back to Luminia. All right. Set the controls, Luthor. I'll reassemble the laser gun. Controls are set, Superman. But that asteroid will be in the path of the beam. I'll take care of that. Okay, you two. All aboard for Luminia. Quickly. As soon as their abilities no longer work, they're... they're sorry. So Superman's going to have to move the asteroid to get them home because otherwise the asteroid will block the beam. So basically what happens is Superman unblocks the way to Luminia and then blocks it again so that the aliens can't come back. I'm not necessarily sure how this asteroid stays eclipsing Luminia's life from Earth, but that's one of those things we just have to go with. So of course Luthor tries to escape, but Superman catches him. And there's a brief coloring error here. Luthor is wearing an orange suit the entire episode, but for the moment where Superman lands in front of him, He's wearing a green suit for the moment when he falls over. And then we're back to orange. So, neat little coloring error there. Now Jimmy and Beanie are wearing ugly glow-in-the-dark clothes. Luminians? But how? Relax, Mr. Kent. Beanie and I are trying out some of the latest fashions. Clothes that glow in the dark. You like them? Not at all. Not at all. Fortunately, Clark thinks they're as ugly as I do. And that's pretty much the end of the two-parter. And I like that two-parter. I was a bit put off by seeing Luthor caught so easily in part two, but I enjoy whenever Luthor and Superman are forced to work together. You know, you just wait for, Super- for Luthor to stab him in the back and you- or try to make his getaway and, you know, never gets old Superman. Uh, seeing Superman put his faith in uh, Luthor reforming. And it's happened countless times in the books, but just never sticks. So from there, let's move on to the Space Refugees. Superboy episode, and this is also written by Oscar Bensall. An alien spaceship is shot by three men hoping to scare them off. Superboy and Crypto arrive on the scene and discover that the aliens are the sole survivors of the planet Verg. We are the sole survivors of planet Zerg, which blew up and disintegrated. All we seek is a new home. Yeah, why in this valley? Because it bears a close resemblance to our land on Zerg. Uh, send them on their way, Superboy. We don't need any aliens on Earth. That's a lot of hogwash. These folks need a place to live. I know. I too came to Earth for refuge when my world exploded. Good luck. As for you men, I suggest that you don't cause these people any more trouble. Up, up, and away! Understanding their plight, Superboy sets about making the land comfortable for them. However, when he flies off, the three men cause havoc with the aliens. Receiving a warning from Crypto, Superboy returns to the scene and saves the aliens and captures the men. 
You've got a date with the law. Now, to finish the job we started. If you wish, you may use our ship to transport these troublemakers. Thanks, Marzi. That won't be necessary. By rights, those diamonds are now your property. I'll stake a claim for you when I get back home. Thank you, Superboy. But I think we should share that wealth with your dog for saving our lives. Nonsense. All that money would just go to his head. Up, up, and away! Okay. This episode is going to involve, you know, three men who are apparently xenophobic and greedy. And it's going to be very difficult without, to discuss this episode without getting political. But I'm going to do my best. So we start off with, you know, these three guys. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure I want to call them criminals. They're just three guys with shotguns. And uh, there's something valuable in the land that the aliens uh, seem to have claimed. And they want it. And they want the aliens gone. Now, I'm not necessarily sure that I would want, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, space aliens living next to me, but either. But I guess the way these guys are going about it is wrong. I don't necessarily know how long these aliens from Verk have been there, but they're staying. That's basically the bottom line. And they are spotted by a weather plane, and that brings the Superboy in, and apparently, they're, like I mentioned, they're sitting on valuable land. And these green people are the small, are the sole survivors of their home planet, Zerg, and... These three guys are doing their best impersonation of INS workers, trying to uh, make sure that all their legal documentation is in order, I guess. So their attitude is, they don't need no aliens living on this world. And if you can make more of a stereotypical xenophobic redneck on a children's television show, please don't tell me there are some things I'd rather not know. And the thing is, these guys aren't necessarily over-exaggerations of people like that. I've met people like this, and... This is how they would act in that situation. I mean, obviously this situation is a little extreme because these are off-world aliens, but people in real life would act like this toward anyone they don't like for whatever reason. So anyway, these guys are also idiots. While they're asking Superboy to uh, send the aliens off, they are forgetting that he too is an alien from another planet. You know, kind of much like the Doctor in the previous Superboy episode did. He kind of reminds them of their own status as a refugee, which is what Superboy is, you know. There's a lot of, been a lot of talk lately, you know, in the news about what to do with refugees, whether they should get the aid from the government that they get. And I'm not going to offer an opinion either way. This shows really not the forum for that, but there are a lot of people like to call Superman the ultimate immigrant, which is a little wrong-headed because he's actually, you know, a refugee from a planet that exploded. You know, some people don't want to see that, but, you know, he is, and he seeks shelter on this world and is given it. But he also looks like everybody on the planet. He looks human. So it's much easier for him to blend in. There's no blending in about these aliens from the planet Zerg. So, and, but these three guys, they're more worried about their fortune than anything else. So, the aliens are growing the vegetation, and these guys are ready to get rid of the foreigners. Like I said, a lot of uh, anti-immigration rhetoric in these three guys. They, uh, they mess with the alien's device, and trees are exploding, and the aliens aren't able to do anything about it. So Superboy comes back to stop the destruction, and I'm betting he's going to have a thing or two to say to our three people here. What happened here? I don't know. That device has never gone awry before. <laughs> Another accident like that, and these spacemen will have to leave. <laughs> you know it. Now, if anything else goes wrong, turn your main generator to full power. My super hearing will detect it. 
and I'll come on the double. Uh, now we'll never be able to cause another phony accident. We can't just walk away from a million bucks! No, we just have to find a way to get rid of those aliens. And obviously the show is waiting for to reveal why this land is so valuable. As this five-minute episode kind of progresses, I was getting a little bit annoyed not knowing what was on this land that these people wanted so much. So Superboy is protecting the aliens, and now they're going to catch... They're going to get caught in a cave-in. So Superboy saves the aliens, and then Superboy discovered the diamonds in the cave. Why these guys didn't grab the diamonds before, I don't know. So, you know, typical greed is fueling uh, their anti-alien hysterics. So these three guys get arrested, and I'm not sure what's going to remain... What's going to happen with the, if the aliens are going to remain on Earth. But he's gonna, Superboy's going to turn these three men over to the law. And there were a couple times during the course of this episode where Superboy seemed to say he was going to take care of the alien status on Earth. I mean, can Superboy just go to the government and say, here, give these two green people, these two out extraterrestrials, this land? I mean, it seems like something that would require more than Superboy's word, but these stories are simplistic. And back then, I guess if Superman told the government to do something, the government did it. Whether they realized it was, whether it was a good idea or not. Even if they didn't, don't even investigate it. I mean, I know this cartoon is not the form for that, but I really never liked the fact that, you know, if Superman says something, the government will jump whether it's a good idea or not. Just do your due diligence. Don't just do something because Superman, Superboy tells you to. So these aliens are going to live in this area and get the diamonds as well. And they're doing okay, and they wanted to share the diamonds with Crypto. And uh, Superboy talks them out of it. Because, you know, the money might go to Crypto's head. So, an interesting episode there. Like I said, I did my best to not get very political about it, but the attitudes in this country right now against refugees and immigrants are what they are. And <clears throat> right now, and right now, the mood is swinging against aiding. I always believe you should help people whenever possible, but it is what it is. I'm not in charge of these things. So, Superboy does come off as the uh, social crusader looking for... Refugees, and you know, as he should be, Superman was kind of founded to be a social justice crusader in you know a spandex in a brightly colored costume. And it's a repeated issue again that the Earth people are disparaging aliens right in front of Superboy. You know, no answers to these questions, just things I want to throw out there. So next time, uh, I'm going to conclude my coverage of the new adventures of Superman, the filmation cartoons with the Ghost of Killbrain Castle and the Japanese Sandman, and the Superboy episodes. The Monster Molecule, and The Great Kryptonite Caper. If you want to send in your feedback, feedback is always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over at the Facebook group. Just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. Also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. And uh, why don't you leave me a review on iTunes? That'll help other people find the show. So, till next time, folks. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the two true freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual, and help out the two true freaks at the same time.
Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.